0: Jake, just to clarify and to start off things, um, what is the difference between sex and gender?
1: Yeah, so I think the, the easiest way to describe um, two pretty complex things, um, the first being sex assigned at birth, um, you know, we, these are commonly or these are referred to as male, female and intersex. Um, those are typically, like I said, assigned at birth, and that is based on, you know, a, a whole host of uh, factors, you know, which includes, um, you know, uh, genitalia, um, chromosomes. I mean, you could, the whole scientific list goes on, um, but basically the easiest way to, to, to label uh, sex assigned at birth is those three buckets of male, female, and intersex. Now, this is different from from gender identity or, or gender expression. Um, these are this is more of a construct, and this is this is more about how you feel on the inside, right? This is this is your identity, this is your gender, um, and that typically what we know um, more colloqu- colloquially is men, women, um, but you know th- we know now through. Um, you know, all the visibility and advocacy work that's being done, that it's much more complex than just men and women, specifically cis men and cis women. And, and when I say cis or cisgender, that's, that's referring to folks whose um, gender identity is kind of aligning or correlating with their sex assigned at birth. So we, we think of cisgender men were assigned male at birth or cisgender women were assigned female at birth. Um that's where then you start to see transgender folks come into play, where you might have a trans man who was um, assigned female at birth, or a trans woman who was assigned male at birth. And once again, like this is so, this is very basic, like it is so much more complex than that. Um, but I identify uh, as non-binary, my, uh, my gender identity is, um, I, I use non-binary as, as that, um, identity and and when we talk about non-binary, once again, it it's a very it's a very complex, <laughs> complex thing. But I use non-binary in a lot of my advocacy work as an umbrella term. And that is being inclusive of the gender identities that fall beneath that. Um, and, and that can be anything that exists outside of the traditional or the more commonly known binary of men and women. So some people exist kind of between those two gender identities, right? They're they're kind of uh using or they you know their their identity is made up of different components of both men and women. Um and that may be pretty you know concrete and kind of stay as it is. Some it's it's a bit more fluid and that can change over time. Um, some folks exist completely outside of the gender binary, right? Like they don't really they don't subscribe to the the men and uh, women boxes or the the men's and women's boxes that most of society subscribes to. I use quotations in that sense. Um, so you'll hear uh, gender identities like gender queer, uh gender nonconforming. Um, and these are all different, you know, very personalized identities that that can fall under that non-binary umbrella. Um, there's also agender, which is, um, you know, not having a gender identity at all. Um, so th- th- it's super complex. But basically, if you can think about sex assigned at birth being male, female, or intersex, and then gender, gender identity, gender expression being Men, women, trans folks, non-binary folks, agender—I mean, there's a whole list of folks. Um, That is the most simplest way I can put
0: it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'd ask you to sum that up in a few sentences, but it sounds like it's a little more complex than um, than a couple sentences. Yeah, Yeah.
1: and I think you know it's so much of society uses the or interchange, you know, uses. Male, female, man, woman, interchangeably, um, and I think the more we can do to really pinpoint um, and call attention to the fact that you know male and female are sexes assigned at birth, and men and women are gender identities, so the more we can do you know when when we're having conversations or you know um, advocating for inclusion, making sure that we are using the correct terminology and, and being cognizant of, of what we're using, right? And, and kind of whenever I start conversations, I like to at least define what I mean by non-binary, right? As, as someone who is, is existing, you know, beyond that gender binary of men and women, um, so it it's a really big point in in uh in my work to make sure that you know we're being really specific and and you know using the correct terminology and, and understanding when you know we may be interchanging um those those words and those definitions. Um so yeah.
0: Okay, cool. Um so th- the main reason why we're even talking today, and I'm glad you clarified that um in your words, is because you wrote a letter um with your organization which is run beyond, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a, obviously you're, you're a runner, you trail runner, you road run or both or. Yeah.
1: So I've started off in the, the road running world. Um, and then when I moved to Seattle about two years ago, um, there are lots of trails here mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, was a, was a hiker and have started to kind of make my way into the trail running uh, community. Um, but as you'll see with the letter, Um, that you know the trail and the ultra communities are still pretty far behind when it comes to non-binary inclusion and so it's actually really difficult for for myself as a non-binary person to participate in you know trail races or or ultra races because many of them still don't have the the space built out for for non-binary folks so I'm making my way into it slowly but surely um but yeah most of my um you know, previous running experience has been with, with road races and, um, you know, road running clubs.
0: Okay, cool. Well, Let's just, um, walk through the letter then. Um, I don't, do you have it pulled up in front of you? I do. Or, or do you have it all memorized maybe? Also that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Um, would you mind just going through and then we can kind of like to stop at certain sections and, um, discuss certain talking points?
1: Yeah. Do you want me to, to just start reading through it or Yeah, summarize? that'd be great. Um, You can summarize it or
0: read through it if you want, um, whatever you feel more comfortable doing.
1: Okay. Um, Why don't we just give a little read through? I'll read like the Mm -hmm. intro uh, portion, portion first. Uh, so it starts off with trail running is a sport home to nature enthusiasts and dirt lovers, adventure seekers adventure seekers and rock scramblers. The trail community is in constant high praise, often described as strangers who quickly become best friends, competitors who will always stop to help, and races that become chosen family reunions. Okay, From I'm the top there of- for a second. Yeah. Sorry,
0: I'm going to interrupt you. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> okay. So in that first paragraph, I feel like that's very indicative of the trail running community. It's one reason why I even got involved in it. Cause mm-hmm. when I started running, I was just like, Oh, running's kind of fun. Like I'm just bored in college and whatever. And then when I did my first trail race as a 25 K, I was just like, I was just stoked with how like nice people were. And even mm-hmm. though I was terrible at it and I'm still not by any means like a great athlete, like I'll never claim that to be, but I, I do enjoy it. And I do enjoy the community and the people Um, but in the the intro, when you say the trail community, it's in quotes, is there a reason why you put that in quotes versus just saying the trail community?
1: Yeah, I think because, um, you know, as, as you just said there, right, like so many, um, so many people's understanding of the trail community is, is that right. It's a welcoming, inclusive community. I mean, so many people actually say that just about the running community in general, that it's, it's super accessible, you know, all you need is a pair of shoes and we know in reality, that's not actually true. Um, even the shoes, right. can be super expensive and like that, that, you know, there's a barrier to, to accessing the sport right there. Um, and so we wanted to call attention to the fact that, like this this trail community that so many people talk about as being one that is welcoming and inclusive of all identities, you know, just you can just show up and, and you're welcomed in, um, isn't actually true. Um, so that that's kind of what we wanted to open with was calling attention to this is the general understanding um, and uh, uh, perception of this community, um, but as you'll see as we go further in. It's not actually the case.
0: Okay. So do you have any like specific examples of that, like personally or whatever? Because I'm just trying to think of like how I would view that almost from a trail community perspective. Cause I hear a lot, like I, I live, I think I was telling you before we started um recording this that like I live in southern Arizona and a lot of people are like, Oh, the trail community and the running community is just white people. And like whenever mm-hmm. I go to events out here, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, it's not just white people, like, it's, mm-hmm. the mo- and granted, that is a very a unique situation where I'm at, where, and where you grew up, and where you are now, might be different, um, mm-hmm. but we have a lot of Hispanics, and a lot of different, we have a lot of Native yeah. Americans as well, and so to me, the trail community is very diverse from a, a racial perspective, but from yeah. your perspective, um, from gender, did you not feel like it, it was inclusive in that way?
1: Yeah, um, you know, the The running industry and and much, you know, most of society has been built off of the gender binary of of men and women, right? So um, within the running industry, whenever you go to register for a race, you're having to select, you know, or identify as man or woman. um, And then you're placed into divisions because of that, or, you know, due to that. And as someone who is existing outside of those two buckets um when I go to register for a race whether that be a you know a road race a trail race etc what you know how do I how do I fit into that equation right um I all my advocacy work started about a year ago when I kind of finally just said, you know what, I'm done. I'm not going to continue to, to sign up for these races and and pay money to, to show up and to be misgendered and to be, you know, um, harassed or to be, you know, um, treated uh, as this identity or this, you know, um, this person that that I'm not. Um, And so... And this is this is a common occurrence amongst many non-binary trail runners uh, or non-binary runners um and you know when we when i collected this group of um there's what there's nine of well ten of us total um this is this is something that we're all advocating for right we're we're all existing outside of those two buckets um and so how and what can we do to to push this industry forward to to create space for folks who don't identify within the the existing men's and women's buckets. Um, and I think that's what we're talking about when we're thinking about, you know, um, how can this or what is the current diversity, uh, the current gender diversity within the sport? Um, it's a very cis gender uh, sport currently. Um, and, you know, we're seeing lots of advocacy for trans inclusion, which is very important. And, and a lot of the time that is about binary trans inclusion, which is about, you know, trans folks being able to compete in the existing men's and women's divisions. Um, but this is a different thing. This is about those folks who aren't within those two buckets at all. Um, so and we know that, that non-binary people exist. I mean, non-binary people have existed forever um, it's only you know since colonization that that the gender binary has come to be um, you know there there's whole history in, in other cultures and um you know earlier um groups of people that, that have had these third genders these um uh you know um additional buckets outside of the the, the two the two buckets that we so commonly know right now um so, anyways, it it really is. It's about pushing the industry forward to to create space um, for folks who are are sitting outside of the the, the gender binary. Um, and you know, like I said, we exist. There there was a study in twenty twenty one that said there are one point two million um, adults in the United States alone who fall under the non-binary identity and so and, and we're seeing too with like the younger generations that are coming up they're a lot more comfortable because society is becoming more um acceptable um, of this this gender identity or you know those folks who are existing outside of the the gender binary we're seeing younger folks be more um be more willing and and comfortable uh, with sharing their gender identity and and you know kind of Making that um, a prominent part of their their identity and their existence within this world, and so how does the industry, whether that's the trail and ultra community or road running, um, how do these industries evolve so that as these younger generations come up, we're ready for them, right? Because if we don't create space for these folks. Um, they're they're going to create their own thing, right? They're gonna they're gonna branch out and create their own groups and clubs and divisions and whatnot. And the the industry will become, um, you know, we'll we'll start to lose right that that buying power, or we'll start to lose that that um, uh, what do you call it? Those participants, right? These these races are gonna start to lose the the popularity that that they've so. Um, that they've been building up over all these years, right? So how can we get the industry to to move forward and and to create space for anyone to show up to a race, to the starting line as their authentic self? Um, I I think that's kind of, that's the point of of all this advocacy work. And it's the point of um, this letter specifically is to call out some of those ways in which we can move the industry forward.
0: Yeah, so thinking about that then, so and we'll keep continue to go through the the letter. I just have questions and stuff, and I hope you're okay mm-hmm. with that because I know it's important. Yeah. But um, like so historically with with road running specifically in the United States, and I'm definitely not an expert nor a historical expert, so maybe someone could clarify or, or you even know more. Um, but like initially, like say with the Boston Marathon, only men were allowed to compete up until a certain year, and I'm forgetting the year when the first female ran, and she ran actually dressed as a male, which is super interesting and caused a lot of drama and stuff. And then eventually, there became a women's category. So at that point, we have a binary system for race, mm-hmm. correct? So yeah, and I, I I see that as a way to create competitive events for both male and female because men and women are are biologically different, correct? Like like hips and everything's are they're just different. Like testosterone levels, all these different things there. And so, how would you make a, an argument come kind of against that, where like? So you have a, a men's field that's different than a women's field, and a non-binary category that has all these different types of genders competing against each other. So, say you have somebody who was assigned male at birth competing against someone who's assigned female at birth, and they identify as non-binary, but they're biologically different. Correct? Like, so does that kind of create like a a category that's not uncompetitive, but kind of favors people with a higher testosterone versus or maybe just a different body type competing mm-hmm. against other types of non-binary people that was kind of a jumbled question I apologize for that I just didn't, I just didn't know <laughs> so how to phrase it I'm, I'm like it taking
1: notes time. like all the things yeah <laughs> yeah um okay let's let's go back to uh Boston Marathon uh this is actually super timely because um I'll just go back to history and then we'll okay. we'll get into it um but yeah, so in 1967 is when Catherine Switzer um, ran the Boston Marathon yeah. um, for the first time. Now, the, it, there's lots of like, you know, she dressed up as a man. She, did, she didn't dress up as a man. She just ran as her authentic self. Um, and she, what she did do was because women weren't allowed to register, she registered with um, like she used her initials when filling out the registration form. Okay, so this shows how much it,
0: of a roadrunner I am.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're good. It, it's I'm sure this story has been told, you know, in countless different ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she registered with just her, you know, initials so that people couldn't really tell that it was Catherine that was running this race. Okay. Um, and so th- this was in 1967. And th- this is where like people, there's a there's a famous photo of, one of the race organizers literally trying to push her off of the course. Um, and it wasn't until 1972 that um, both the Boston Marathon and then also the New York Marathon allowed women to officially register. So this year um, at New York's marathon about a month ago, uh, 2022 was the 50th anniversary of that um you know, of creating space for women, um, which is not a long time, like 50 years is not very long. And the fact that like, it was only, you know, it was that recently, or it was only, you know, uh, 50 years ago that, that women were allowed to participate. It's just, it's hard to even fathom. Um, but I was actually, I when I was in New York um, a few, about a month ago, um, I was spoke on a panel with Catherine about gender inclusivity in the sport, um, and you know the the Michelob Ultra is, is doing this run fund, which is helping to increase participation um, of both uh, women and non-binary folks. Um, but it is it, it is just it's so hard to believe that only fifty years ago, um, you know, women weren't allowed, right? So um, super exciting there that you know we're we're celebrating the 50th anniversary and that this work is continuing to to grow. Um, to your question about, um, let me think, let me think what you'd ask. (laughs) Oh, so correct. What I'm, what I'm learning, um, in a, within a lot of this work is that creating divisions based on gender, um, is problematic. Um, it creates a lot of issues, problems, um, harm, and I've not figured out what the better solution is. Um, I know, you know, I I think I've had conversations with folks about, you know, think about like wrestling. Yes, participants are divided based on gender, but more specifically, they're, they're divided based on um weight class right and trying to pair like like versus like and and you know um trying to kind of figure out what is the the fairest way but also keep it competitive you know like the the way that they've figured that out in wrestling is is super interesting it's also um, there's a different way of classifying folks in the um, in the cycling world. So, like in USA Cycling, they have a, a category system, right? They've got like five categories, and it's point based, and it's less about like yes, gender still comes into play, but if you think about the the larger picture, it's about um, kind of moving your way up through these different categories based on like the amounts of races that you're doing, the the distance, uh, where you're placing. Um, What I've learned is that I I believe that at some point running is going to have to figure out a better way to, to categorize folks and to, to, you know, award the winners or, you know, the, the the finishers, the top finishers. Um, I don't know what that is. And I I can't come to the industry and be like, Hey, let's remove gender because that will just like break brains. (laughs) Um, But what I what we can do is start to help bring awareness to the fact that non-binary folks exist, trans people exist. It is not this this cisgender men's and women's division based world that that so many think it is. Um, and so, right now, we're seeing lots of exciting progress in the world in the road running industry. Um, the New York Marathon just had the largest field size of non-binary folks with, I think it was like 46 uh, finishers. Um, and so we're seeing these divisions start to be created. We're seeing the participation levels increase. And really right now, what it's about is is visibility and allowing these folks to just participate. For so many people, the competition side of running isn't a factor. It's just about like they want to participate, they want to show up, they don't want to be misgendered, they just want to be their authentic selves at that event. Um, And so the more focus we can put on just creating space for these folks and getting past that initial hurdle, because even that initial hurdle is very challenging. is super, super challenging because there are so many different factors that go into that. The registration platforms, the, the timing platforms, the, the results, um, you know, awards and, you know, identifying participants and, you know, c- creating more gender inclusive spaces. And there, there are so many different things that go into just creating space, Once we can do that and once we can, you know, build up these participation levels, then I think the next step is figuring out, like you were saying, you know, addressing the point of um, competition, right? Like how can we, you know, is is there a way that we need to further divide this group by, or, you know, can it just remain as a non-binary group, right? Like there are so many places it can go from here. Um, But I believe that this first step is where we're currently at. And that is building out space so that non-binary folks do not have to participate in the men's and women's divisions. They can actually just participate in a division that affirms their identity um, and allows them to just exist. Um, I think that's the first step. Um, and, And like I said, that is we're seeing exciting progress in the road running industry there's still so much more to go but within the trail and offshore community there's even more work to do and that's uh you know that's why we wrote this letter
0: all right cool um let's continue on then because you do kind of touch on that later on in the letter so we can discuss that mm-hmm. more then um yeah. so i think that we stopped at through grit and determination do you want to just kind of read from there
1: sure Through grit and determination, our bodies can do incredible, often seemingly impossible things. Despite this welcoming culture, non-binary athletes have yet to be included in the community. As non-binary athletes, we call upon the trail and ultra running community to formally recognize and incorporate non-binary athletes into all aspects of the sport.
0: Okay, so let's stop there for a second then. Um, I know we, we already kind of touched on it, but like Essentially, and if I'm reading this properly, understanding you properly, you're saying that non-binary athletes, this is why I'm not reading the letter because (laughs) it's like a reading, (laughs) Uh, non-binary athletes um, don't feel included simply because there's not a non-binary check on, say, ultra sign up. Mm -hmm. Okay, Okay, cool.
1: Yep, that's exactly it. Um, And it, you know... Once again, that is just one that's one point, um as we'll see throughout the letter, but there are so many areas um within the industry that are gendered. Think about like t-shirts. You know, you're getting apparel from the race. Oh, it's a men's shirt. Oh, it's a woman's shirt. Okay. well, what about the folks who aren't men and aren't men or women? And how, do they, how does that, you know, um, apply to them, right? We know with like prize money and awards and podium situations, all of that, you know, results, all of that is built on this, this binary system. Um, so how can we be more inclusive and, and you know, expand some of these concepts to, to bring in the non-binary community?
0: Okay, cool. Well, let's continue then reading um, this is the next paragraph where you start off the non-binary experience.
1: Yeah, so the non-binary experience is complex, and no two journeys will be the same. Non-binary is an umbrella term for the many genders that are not exclusively man or woman. Some individuals exist between the gender binary of men and women, while others exist outside of the gender binary, or have no gender at all.
0: Okay, let's pause there for a second. Um, How, like, I understand, like, your view of, like, being non-binary, but how could you say, like, Say so I show up to an event and I I have no no gender like how like what even does that mean?
1: Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> um, what does that mean? It's hard for me to answer because I am not a gender. Um, but once again, as as it as we stated, uh, I don't know if we've got to that part yet. Maybe I just said it but um we use non-binary as an umbrella term so that is just a um uh, a term that we are using to include anyone who is not um fitting within those buckets of men and women so this is inclusive of gender queer folks this is inclusive of transgender folks, uh some transgender folks, um, it's inclusive of non-binary folks, gender non-conforming, agender, I mean anything that the list goes on. It's this, it's this huge spectrum of identities. Um and so it's just about creating an experience for those folks um to to show up. And so for someone if you to your question, if someone is agender, you know, doesn't um have a gender identity that they that they um you know are existing in how othering and how exclusive might it feel to show up to an event where everything is labeled with men and women right like restrooms have men's and women's signs and the shirts are men's and women's sizes and um you know the the registration packets like they've all got men and women plastered all over them for the divisions um, so that's the whole point of this advocacy is is ju- it's not about erasing those those identities because those people exist and they deserve space as well, but it's about bringing in this other layer of of folks who don't um, subscribe to those those buckets and creating a space for them to to participate and exist as their authentic selves.
0: So how, how would that differ from, say, gender dysphoria? Because if you Google non-binary or something and gender dysphoria, they kind of come up and there's very similar definitions. And up until fairly recently, gender dysphoria was um, like not advocated on the right word. It was just accepted by the medical community as like, okay, if you're not male or female, you have gender dysphoria. So how is that mm. any different than, how? I guess the question would be, how is gender dysphoria different from saying you're non-binary?
1: yeah i mean well non-binary i mean gen- well, for so gender dysphoria is not um a gender It's ident- not a gender identity okay um non-binary is a gender identity um when you i get i i could see your your argument there about or i can i can hear what you're saying though about like non-binary as like an umbrella term um feeling more like gender dysphoria but it, it it's not you know i would have to be very clear that like gender dysphoria is not a gender identity that is more um you know something that you're feeling uh or it's like a sense of unease right it's it's um it's that mismatch between your sex assigned at birth and your gender identity um binary and you know the, the identities underneath that gender queer etc those are gender identities um so when folks are participating in in events that are gendered right that have men's and women's divisions uh as folks who don't you know who are non-binary who are trans they can feel gender dysphoria and they can experience gender dysphoria um by participating in those because that's not the gender identity that they are um it's it's not their gender identity. It's not their experience, and so this this gender dysphoria is more a um, I don't want to say a state of mind, but it is it is something you are experiencing and we're going through, right? Because that can lead to depression and anxiety, and um, you know th- that is a real serious um, thing. But it is a different thing from non-binary and and gender identity. Okay,
0: cool. Thank you for clarifying that. Let's continue on then, because there's, we have a lot to to go through. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very, uh, Um, it's a long letter, not in a bad way, but I'm just saying we have a lot to go through. Of course. Um, So where did we stop then? I think we're at Um, society. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's go from there. So society is
1: increasingly recognizing those who are non-binary. Many states offer a non-binary inclusive gender marker of X, and the Department of State allows X gender markers on passports. Despite this legal recognition outside of the running industry, non-binary athletes are still forced to t- are still forced to select between two divisions that do not represent who they are.
0: Okay, can we stop there for a second as well? So like the the whole um marking gender X for the Department of State and certain states. I think New York is is New York or are New York and California the only states that offer that currently? As like a no, no North- uh Oregon?
1: Washington state does, the state that I'm in. Um mm-hmm. I can't read. I room. there's a number out there, but um, I want to say it's half. It's almost half of the states, maybe. Oh, really? Um, I'd have to. I'd have to. I don't. You know, fact check. on that
0: I'm not, not going to be like, okay, tell me exactly how Right, do but
1: no, it's definitely more than the New York and California okay. for sure.
0: Okay, well, those are just the ones that I've heard of. Um, yeah, and then how would that work though? So, say on your passport it says X, and so like say you go to. I don't know, like say you go to Chile or something and mm-hmm. you show up like how like I'm assuming that Chile or some of these other countries are not recognizing non-binary. So how does that work then when you show up to to immigrations and customs in a foreign country and they're just like, are you male or female? And you're like, no, I'm not. Are they gonna? Mm-hmm. I guess I'm not asking for your personal experience. I don't know if you've ever traveled and had that experience, but like I'm just genuinely curious on how that would work, because it seems like it would cause a lot of confusion. And frustration at the border especially dealing with a foreign language and then a, a foreign culture on top of that it's very different than the u.s mm-hmm. culture oh 100
1: not even i mean before we even think about like international travel to your point about which states have it on their you know state ids even just traveling across state lines can be super challenging right if you and this goes to a, a point further on but if you're, you say you're in Washington state, right. And you, you have a, like my driver's license, my ID has X on it, um, as a non-binary person, but then I go to another state to participate in a race or an event that doesn't have that option. Like even that right there is super confusing, challenging. Um, and it's a point, you know, there's a lot of races out there that uh you have to like verify your identity right you've got to you got to bring like, like a photo id or you have to bring some sort of identification to to kind of pair you with you know the name in the registration to you know this person that is showing up to participate um so it's something i have to address with race directors all the time about like are there ways that we can identify participants without um you know because for some states if, if you don't have that um uh, ability to have an X on your license and you show up to participate uh, as a non-binary participant in a non-binary division, but that's not what is on your ID. Like what sort of situation does that then cause, right? Um, and how do we navigate that? And so when you think about international travel, it's just on a larger scale um, because it is true that there are uh, I mean there, there, are, there are countries out there where even just um, uh, homosexuality is a, you know is illegal right? So there's a lot of work to do with all those different countries. Um, it kind of hurts my mind even thinking about that. Um, <laughs> That's a pretty
0: large concept to think about. Right? A lot of like, oh my gosh, that
1: that just, I think maybe broke my brain for the day. Um, <laughs> but it is, it is, it is a very real thing. Um, I will say that, like, it, uh, I feel like it's, this is my, this is my assumption right here. And I, I am always preaching to not not make assumptions. Um, but you know, I would assume that the gender identity on your passport is less of an issue. It's more about the name and and the photo. Maybe I don't like, I I have no idea, honestly, when it comes to the international side of things. Um, I, yeah, that is a really good question though. Um, but I do know that something similar with driver driver's license and state IDs is um, a major point um, within a lot of this work within just the U.S., um, you know, before we even think about going outside the U.S., like just across state
0: lines can be super challenging. Okay, cool. Well, let's continue on then. Like, I guess that was a, it was kind of a hard question to answer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't have a response either because I was like, I, I have no idea. Um, uh, so, okay. Despite this legal recognition,
1: uh, oh wait, well, I guess I already said that, but despite this legal recognition outside of the running industry, non-binary athletes are still forced to select between two divisions that do not represent who they are. For some, having to choose an identity that doesn't align with their own can feel dysphoric, triggering, or unsafe, and is a burdensome weight to carry when participating. For others, it may be holding them back from registering at all um there's the gender dysphoria that we were just talking about
0: okay
1: um in the larger running industry road racing has made recent progress towards the inclusion of non-binary athletes philadelphia distance run and new york road runners have been leaders in this change and as of 2022 five of the six world major marathons have announced the addition of a non-binary division as we acknowledge and celebrate that progress along with the work that Trail and Ultra Companies um whole list of them are doing have accomplished it's important to also recognize there's still more that needs to be done
0: okay hey, let's stop there for a second because um like we mentioned earlier um oh, I don't that's the the wrong thing but with Arabica <laughs> for example we talked to to Riley Brady recently or I did I should yeah. say and um and Riley won a golden ticket, which is pretty awesome, but it is, did cause some controversy because mm-hmm. with Ultra Sign Up, how their rankings go. So I guess I should backtrack a little bit. Like Aravipa has male, female, and a non-binary race category for um, Javelina 100, which is a golden ticket race to get an entry into the Western States 100. And so when you go to register, Riley uh, chose male or female, then there's a, if I remember correctly how it works, like a drop-down, you can choose non-binary or something. I don't remember the exact uh-huh. wording they have on their site, um, but it's something to that effect. But then when you yeah. upload results to Ultra Sign Up, they have to go in male or female. And so mm-hmm. when Riley was running all day, um, everyone was announcing Riley as um, non-binary. And so then that mm-hmm. caused issues is when Riley finished second place behind Devin Yanko and won a, glo- won a golden ticket. And then suddenly Riley's female after being non-binary all day. Mm-hmm. And this is according to like just people that were there and then how results were t- like, added up and accounted like, and and put yeah. over to Western States and stuff. So what are your thoughts about that? I don't know if you follow much about Western States and the golden ticket races and stuff. Yeah.
1: Oh, I, I followed it. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's this that actually goes back to I, I was speaking on a panel at um the US Trail Running Conference um a few months ago, weeks ago, I can't remember when it was. Um, but there was lots of conversation there about ultra sign up. And um there was actually like some praise, right? Like, oh, ultra sign up is, you know, they're they're inclusive of non-binary folks now. And and I was like, but but they're not, because Yes, you can register as a non-binary participant, but they've not done the work yet to build out a system that can support non-binary participants when it comes to results and tracking, et cetera. So that's the issue. That's exactly what just happened with Riley right there, is that because they allowed for non-binary participants to register as such, um, but didn't communicate because a lot of people they don't really know the ins and outs of like ultra sign up and like how that coding is currently set up like if they're not following that and they just see like oh I can register as non-binary like great mm-hmm. um they're not following that actually you know there isn't really a true non-binary division or they they won't be reflected as such when it comes to results and whatnot so up has a lot of work to do. They've, they've expressed um, their commitment to that work. And, you know, apparently we're getting an update here in, I believe, the new year. Um, but it, it speaks to that, that problem, right, of for so many races, they think, oh, I can just turn on the non-binary registration option and I'm done. Like, I've done the work. But the reality of the situation is that that's only the the first step. You know, by turning on that registration option, you're inviting non-binary participants to your event. You now have a responsibility as a race organizer to make sure that it is a safe event for them, that we are affirming their, their identity, their existence. Um, and that goes to, um, you know, the accurate... Uh, reporting of results, and you know, creating spaces that are gender inclusive or gender expansive, right? Like beyond just the men's and women's, whatever it may be, shirts, restrooms, et cetera. Um, and so long story short here is that it that event, what happened to Riley and what happened in that situation is is very unfortunate, but it just goes to show the state of the industry right now. We are not at a place where. Folks can just show up and participate as their authentic selves. Um, you know there there's still systems and there are barriers to to allowing them to show up. Um, and this was an example of that. Um, this work is not going to happen overnight. Like it can be really challenging work, and, and it takes transparency. It takes dedication. Um, and I I just hope that race directors and and people in the industry learn from that event learn from what happened uh, in that situation and, and kind of adjust how they move forward. Um, But also like I, as we do in this letter, like call attention to, you know, everyone is, there's so many folks who are like, Oh, well, we're waiting on ultra sign up. We're waiting on the, it's like, well, but there are so many companies out there who have actually done this work already. You know, and I know it's, it's not ultra sign up and, you know, it's, it's a different platform, but like, if you're truly committed to creating space for non-binary folks and the the system that you're using or the company you're working with either, you know, isn't going to adjust or is taking too long to do so, there are options out there. There are ways that you can be more inclusive of, of non-binary folks right now today, um, And that's what this letter tries to address is that there are so many things that go into this and there are so many options and resources and, and, um, you know, uh, companies and people available that have done this work and that want to do this work. Um, So it's really hard to see, you know, folks just really kind of like banking on one company or like one group to, to kind of lead the charge. It's like, no, there's a lot of us involved in this. And I think the answer doesn't have to lie with just one you know one group one company one person
0: yeah in this specific situation though I think it it's not just having a non-binary category because Air Vipa did that but like with the golden tickets for example in western states Western state doesn't recognize anything but male or female as mm-hmm. far as your registration goes so like even if Riley did just have a have their own like non-binary category, riley mm-hmm. could have ran the time which was super impressive like second place behind devin yanko who's a legitimate runner for sure mm-hmm. um riley still wouldn't have uh won a golden ticket then at that point it would have been given yeah. to um uh, to devin yanko and to Cole bitter um, mm-hmm. so i don't know what your thoughts are on that because like if you think about it like there's how many golden ticket races now like six or seven i believe they added yeah uh, Thailand mm-hmm. and utmb or so there's there's quite a few events but then at that point it's like You'd have another a third more runners if you had a non-binary golden ticket category, and with mm-hmm. Western states, the the entries are already fairly limited because of how it all worked out in the past and how it is now. It's like three hundred something runners. So then at that mm-hmm. point, ten percent of your runners are just golden ticket athletes who who won an entry, in versus yeah, I don't know what the math would be, say seven percent as it currently is. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it it were. I, it, it's it's funny you know we're seeing this in the, and we see this in the road running industry too right with like the the elite athletes um and it all being governed by like world athletics and usatf and you know there are all these governing bodies that um are kind of overseeing these different divisions and these elite levels and um it's it just shows once again that like there's still so much work to do and, and we could go to Western states. We could go to some of these companies um, or governing bodies to to ask for change, but I know that they're going to say, "Well, where are the non-binary elite athletes?" Right? Like, I don't, you know, I don't see any. I see one, or I see, you know, that that'll be their response. And so, I think by creating these divisions kind of from the ground up and and bringing awareness to them at a more local and you know regional level, that's going to start to um, that'll add pressure to those higher, um, governing bodies and, and companies like Western States. Right. So Riley might be the first one, but like will not be the last. And so how can we build that pressure so that at some point those, um, the folks at that level have to start to do this work as well. Um, that, that's kind of, that's the strategy I, I see us taking, um, Because, too, I would also say that, like, who's to say there aren't non-binary or trans folks or whoever already participating within these divisions, right? There was never a space for non-binary folks to participate as their authentic selves. And sure, that could deter some folks from registering. But there are definitely folks out there who are non-binary, who are participating in the existing men's or women's division. And so who's to say that, you know, if you were to create an elite category or create, you know, opportunities at Western states that like those folks would kind of come out of the woodwork, right. And be able to participate as their authentic self. They're currently in in an industry where like to get that prize money or to get, you know, kind of those exciting benefits that come along with some of those larger opportunities. They have to be within the men's and women's division because that's the only opportunity. And if it's going to come down to, you know, either being up for you know a large amount of prize money or participating as their authentic self, like for some people, that can be a really tough place to be in, uh, especially if they are, you know, using if if they are if they are dependent upon the the prize money um you know it can be a really tough sell to to say oh actually I'm gonna go do this other thing and just try to like race as my authentic self and not you know go for any sort of pride like right like that the state of the industry right now makes that really challenging um and I just once again I think the more we can bring awareness the more we can build up participation levels um you know the more pressure will be put on Um, to those folks to just start the conversation right just start talking about how could we solve this Um, and I don't have that answer I don't think any one person will have that answer that's going to be something we'll have to you know work through with people like Riley and you know western states and some of these governing bodies Um, you know it's it's all about you know just having that conversation and figuring out what the best path forward is. So
0: have you ever thought then about Instead of just talking about it, but creating, say, your own event that's specifically mm. how you want it. Have you ever thought about doing that? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but that also just terrifies me because I already have so many things going on. <laughs> um, but it is happening, right? Like we see, you know, I see it a lot within like the queer community. You know, we've created pride runs, right? We've created these spaces where folks do get to show up as their authentic self. You know, they may not be like the biggest event out there, like, you know, as large as the New York City Marathon or, you know, whatever, Javelina, like these are smaller races, but they're the experience of the folks that get to participate in those races is, is worth it. It's worth creating a space. I, you know, people always talk about, oh, well, you know, the division's only going to have one person or it's going to, it's not going to have very many non-binary folks. And I always am like, okay, but what are, that's based on an assumption that like non-binary people don't exist and we know that they exist. Um, but also too, even if it is just one person, being able to create an experience where that person can show up and bring their full self, you know, we were just, as we read in the letter right there, showing up and be, you know, carrying this weight of, you know, anxiety and worry and fear is really, really detrimental to, to non-binary athletes. I I was speaking on that panel uh, with Catherine Switzer, as I mentioned, and I was asked like, what does that weight feel like? You know, it's really heavy. It's heavy to show up to a race when, you know, everyone else around you is showing up, you know, yeah, they may have something may have happened at home that morning, or, you know, there may be something going on in their life, but for the most part, they're getting to just show up, they don't have to worry about like their gender or their identity, they get to just show up and participate, right, they get to bring their entire mind and body to, to the task at hand, which is, you know, racing or is, you know, participating, If you're showing up as a non-binary person, that added weight of like, am I going to be misgendered? Will I be harassed? Will someone try to push me out of this race? That is really, really heavy and it detracts from your ability to fully participate. Think about a world in which that weight doesn't exist and all of these runners, no matter their gender identity, get to apply their full self, their full ability to a race. I just like that is, so exciting. That to me is what we should be striving for. That is that is where we want to go. That's where we want to be, where folks can just participate. They don't have to worry about those added layers of anxiety and, you know, um, will I be harassed? Will I be, you know, assaulted? Will I be, you know, will someone say something? Well, you know, like all those things, they don't have to be a thing within this industry. And how do we get to that? how do we get to a place where, um, that is the case?
0: Okay, cool. Well then I feel like we've covered the next couple paragraphs without even having to read through them <laughs> because we, we <laughs> yep. talked about the registration and race organizers, race organizers. Mm-hmm. I can't speak. Um, so let's start as yeah, we're let's try to think. Let's start with, with the addition of non-binary divisions.
1: Uh, Yep. I see it. Okay. Okay, cool. So this is under the, we call upon race organizer section. Yeah. Uh, So with the addition of non-binary divisions, it's important to recognize that adding a registration option is only the beginning. Many races have yet to offer equitable awards and prizes, effectively creating a non-competitive division
0: yeah let's stop there for a second. What do you mean by equity? because equality and um, equity are very different
1: mm-hmm. as far as like
0: what they mean. So can you kind of um, dig deeper into that?
1: Yeah, so it's it's about creating you know I, I tell people all the time that like as you build out a non-binary division, think about all the things you do for the existing men's and women's divisions and apply that to this new non-binary division but with the caveat of like, you're gonna have to tailor some things, right? So if the non-binary division isn't as, um, maybe let's say the participation levels aren't as high, um, you know, if if in the existing men's and women's divisions, you do like uh, age group awards, right? And for each age you have top three or whatever. If you don't have that much, or if your participation levels aren't as high uh, within a non-binary division, well, maybe instead of doing age group awards, you're doing like a just a top five overall or you're doing, you know, something that is still giving that opportunity to to win awards or prizes just like the men and women are are, you know, the ability or the just like the opportunities that are available to men and women. What sort of opportunities can now be available for the the non-binary participants? Um, and it's, you know, it, it there's so many people talk about, Oh, well, you know, I'm going to, it's going to cost more money or it's going to, you know, I don't have the budget for that. And to that, I would first ask if you are truly, you know, if your organization, if your company is truly dedicated um, to, or committed, I should say, to um, building out an inclusive experience for all people, um, then you'll take what you currently have resource-wise And you'll spread it out, right? You will, if you've got a certain budget for prizes and awards, then you divide that out based upon the divisions that you are offering. Um, The exciting thing about adding a non-binary division and about doing this sort of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion work, is that I would like to imagine that you are now creating an opportunity to bring in more stakeholders, right? There are so many businesses and organizations out there that are either queer owned and queer operated, or they're just their allies, right? And they want to support this kind of work. A lot of the the budget that that these races get comes from donations and comes from sponsorships. I would like to believe that if you add a non-binary division, and if you make it known that you are committed as an organization to, to kind of advancing the industry to this more inclusive place the folks out there who support that will come in and they will help um you know build your budget or, or sorry increase your budget um so that you could offer the same amount of awards or whatever it may be right um i just the, i the argument that oh it's going to cost more money i just think is it, it's you know it's um what's the phrase uh it's a cop-out is that the phrase yeah that's a phrase yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, That's goodness. Phrase, but yeah, I understand Clearly, I
1: haven't had my coffee today. Um, it's a it's a good it's an excuse that carries no weight. There's what I'm trying to say. It's mm. an excuse that carries no no weight because there are so many opportunities out there to create new partnerships and to, um, you know, bring in community members and, and additional stakeholders. And, um, you know, it just the, I just what what kind of really I it's hard to process is the thing about creating non-binary divisions and about doing this work is it is forcing the race organizers the participants everyone involved to think more critically about the industry to think critically about how we are doing things what sort of systems are in place how might that be inclusive or exclusive, um, you know, what are these experiences that we're creating and that we're, you know, kind of providing? Um, and how can we, by thinking about how we can make them more inclusive of, of non-binary folks, it actually starts to get people to think about, well, how can I just make this more inclusive of everyone? Like it, it is forcing people to really kind of do an audit of their event or an audit of their company to really look at, what sort of practices are in place right now and how could we improve that? Um, So I see it as like, yes, obviously it is important that we are focusing on, um, you know, building out space for non-binary folks, but also in the end, by starting this work, you're actually going to improve your event for every person, whether they're men, women, trans folks, non-binary folks. Um, To me, that's exciting. And I'm always confused why, like, folks wouldn't want to make it better, wouldn't want to you know, um, move the industry to a, to a better place.
0: Yeah. I get what you're saying. And that all makes sense. But then you look at other professional sports, like say the NBA, for example, like I don't follow basketball by any means. (laughs) I don't either. I don't don't (laughs) really care about it. Like teach their own, but like there's major salary differences between the NBA and the WNBA. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. simply because people watch the NBA and nobody watches the WNBA. Like I don't know specific numbers, um, but it's just drastically different. So in that regard, sponsor money is very different. Like you can't mm-hmm. you can't just artificially have high salary or equal salaries or equitable salaries. I guess that'd probably be the proper term for the WNBA mm-hmm. and the NBA. So that it, I guess it kind of applies to to running as well. Like not it's not apples to apples by any means, mm-hmm. but do you kind of get what I'm saying? There's like yeah, going to put money into where they can get money back because it's it's a business investment. And it's like and I get what you're saying of like, yeah, it makes sense to have everybody feel inclusive and everything the same. But in the end though, like, like, why would I, this, for example, I'm not saying that I would do this specifically or whatever, and I'm not trying to be like demeaning, but like, why would you pay X, an XX, whatever person, $200,000 a year, this person, $200,000 a year, and then somebody that's not getting any eyeballs on them, the same amount mm-hmm. of money when they're not, they're not going to have the same ROI. I'm looking at it from a strictly a like business perspective. Yeah. Do you, you get my question? That's yeah. Another A, not well, a long, I jumbled think, question that
1: uh, <laughs> I didn't phrase very well. <laughs> I think it. Uh, I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but my response to that would be like a question of, well, why? Why is it that the men's division is getting more sponsorship? Why is it getting more viewers? And I don't think we can really answer that, but that just starts to show the sexism that exists within our society and you know we just saw it with like the women's soccer team really fighting for the um you know that equitable pay um and so i yeah i mean oh gosh i could go off on that one um i think you know to bring it to running though like it we are seeing more and more companies out there that are specifically allocating funds and resources to minority groups, to folks who are marginalized and, you know, who are all too often, you know, silenced and cast aside, right? They're not that, they're not white, they're not cis and they're not men, right? Like, they're therefore they don't get any resources or funding. It's like, no, 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 like, actually there are a lot of companies out there that are now doing the opposite of that and they are specifically allocating funding and and you know grants and sponsorships and whatnot to these marginalized groups. Um, And so I think by creating opportunities for those people to come in and support you as you do this work is is a really smart idea and like that opportunity is out there and it exists, um, you know, across the board. I I mean, it's at least my understanding. Okay, Um,
0: cool. Let's keep going then. Um... Now I'm completely lost to where we were in your letter. Uh, (laughs) Maybe you made better notes than I did. um, Uh, We are at the
1: end of, um, yeah, uh, we're at non-competitive division.
0: Okay, cool. Let's uh, do that.
1: So we just said, um, effectively creating a non-competitive division. This forces non-binary athletes to choose between two inaccurate gender divisions to compete with their peers or to run the same distance but not be eligible for awards and prizes. Building out equitable non-binary divisions requires the same amount of attention and detail given to the existing men's and women's divisions. Awards and prize money, finishing tapes, social media coverage, etc. are all important components. For more information regarding equitable non-binary divisions, please see the Guide to Non-Binary Inclusion in Running available at nonbinaryrunning.com.
0: Is that part of your organization or is that separate?
1: Yep. So that's what my advocacy work started with, was writing a guide to how do you do this? And then, you know, now a year later, kind of on the anniversary is when we launched this uh, Run Beyond community. So um, it all started with the guide and here we are now.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Um, Well, let's jump over to we call upon vendors and sponsors then.
1: Yeah, so we call, upon, we call upon vendors and sponsors to offer gender-expansive products and services. Consider the ways in which apparel and shoes are gendered. Even picking out a shirt at a race is often gendered. Consider replacing the question of men's or women's shirt with more descriptive language, such as straight cut or fitted, tapered, contoured cut. Allow people to choose their size and cut without imposing gendered assumptions about who should wear which style. It's also important to remember that colors don't have a gender. So women's products don't always need to be pink and men's products blue. Please be aware of who you are featuring on websites and in marketing campaigns. Representation is important and company marketing should include non-binary athletes. Add your voice to normalizing diversity within the trail and ultra running community.
0: Okay, let's pause there then. I want to focus on that last paragraph Mm -hmm. Um, because we kind of discussed it briefly at the beginning and um, mentioned that we'd come back or we would kind of come up to this point. Um, But just speaking of equity, like we just spoke about with like say financing and all these different um, aspects of running, trail running and road running. Um, What are your thoughts then on like say 1% or whatever? I, I don't know the exact numbers, of uh, road and trail runners are nine variant, binary shouldn't one percent of marketing then be non-binary just to make it equitable or what are your thoughts on that? No
1: I I think for me as as someone who you know grew up as a queer kid um there were so little people out there uh, for me to look to 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 see myself um growing up there was, I don't think I actually even knew of a non-binary person, um, let alone, or you know, I I barely knew of anyone that was, you know, gay, lesbian, straight, you know, the LGBTQIA plus community, like there's so little representation in society, whether that be like media, um, or you know, like here, like marketing campaigns or uh within like the arts, like all those identities didn't exist. And I think the more we can do to elevate those experiences and include them in you know all of these different that's not to say that like we only have to feature non-binary folks we only have to feature um you know BIPOC individuals or, or queer uh queer folks like there's there's an element here of let's make sure that all identities are represented um In the industry because you never know the next kid that's gonna see the the ad on tv or is gonna see the post on instagram or whatever it may be who may be from one of those marginalized communities um and maybe thinking to themselves oh like i don't exist i don't belong in this sport i don't you know i don't see anyone like me the more we can do to make sure that those marginalized groups are showing up in those instances the better because we know that men uh specifically white cis men are present they are they've got their space in the sport like that's great we know that exists but for the folks who don't see that or for for the folks who aren't that identity we have to make sure that there are instances of them seeing themselves reflected in the industry um so I think we kind of have to balance it out a little bit. I don't think saying like, oh, well, if there's only this percentage of this identity, we can only show that percentage in our um, campaigns or on our website. I would argue that we actually should, should, should show more because we want to try to increase that representation. And the only way to do that is by, for lack of a better word, promoting that those identities exist. Um, and that's why, like for myself, whenever I run a race now, I make sure to run across the finish line with my non-binary flag, like tied around my neck or you know, attached to me in some way. Because I want to make sure that when I cross that finish line, anyone in the audience who may be non-binary or may know someone who is non-binary knows that we exist and that you can participate in this sport and you know, um, have a, you know, exciting and, um, you know, fulfilling race as a non-binary person. Um, so the more that I can do to just make sure that that representation is there, the better, even if it's just like, I'm the only person, like I will always show up with that flag just to make sure that I am sending a message to the next person behind me. That is maybe like, oh, I don't know if, I don't know if there's space for me. I don't know if I'll, you know, be able to exist, um, you know, um, comfortably in this sport, I'm here to say that you can and that you do.
0: But isn't that then not equitable? It's like an overrepresentation of a small population. It'd be like another example could say it could be like having fifty percent of all um, uh, all Gatorade marketing being Hispanic people. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I get the point of like making sure people feel comfortable and accepted and everything, but that's no representation of something that's just not accurate. Or like like me going to India, for example. I mean, like we need more white people in advertising. It's like, well, there's not a lot of white people in India. I know there are, and maybe that's a bad example because the British colonization there.
1: But to yeah, I was say, I'm... hold on.
0: Maybe <laughs> <laughs> we should do like do uh, Thailand or something, where it's like, or sometimes I've been to Mexico. Like I live close, mm-hmm. to I go there quite a bit. Um, like I'm the only white person, like it wouldn't make any sense for me. Like a lot of people have never even seen a white person in real life. So it wouldn't really make sense for me to push my, my race into the advertising or the marketing of these local companies, because it wouldn't be reflective of who they're marketing to or to who their population is. Do you you get what I'm trying to say there? It's like, if you're showing say like 25% of, of say Nike's, um, shoe commercials now are all. Um, non-binary people that's an overrepresentation of their market
1: yeah, okay um I hear you um, I think what is I mean I'm still gonna <laughs> I'm still gonna say that like I think that representation is important no matter the percentage because you know what is i mean what I would ask is like what what data is that being um what data um are we basing that off of right like there's still like that like I said earlier there's um in 2021 there was that study that found you know 1.2 million people are um non-binary in the U.S. and that was ages like I think it was like 18 to 60 or something I can't remember the the points um but my question is like we don't have um a way currently that I know of to to measure what the actual um percentage of those who are non-binary. Um, we don't have a way to measure what that actual percentage is of the non-binary folks in let's say the US. Um, and so first of all, like that's 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 hard. That's hard to say, you know, like, oh well we we're we're only gonna match that percentage. Well we don't really have that percentage yet. We don't have a system that is able to measure that. Um, But I think, once again, like, we exist in, I'm talking about, like, the United States, Western civilization, like, non-binary folks exist. And, you know, to say that, oh, well, like, there's just not too many, there's not very many of us in the running industry. Well, that's because there hasn't been a space for us to participate as our authentic selves, right? I have not run in an actual like trail race yet, because there are so few that actually have a non-binary division and I'm not going to register as, you know, an identity that I'm not. Um, so how many folks out there are like me in that situation? And if we can create these, these divisions um, and create space for them, then the next step is to create those marketing opportunity or, you know, to, to seek out the marketing opportunities to bring them in because they are out there. We know, you know, the, the, the study or the the one data point that I know of is the 1.2 million. Like there are 1.2 million people out there. Um, and that was 2021. So I'm sure that number is higher now. Um, and that was only for like, like I said, the 16 to whatever age or 18 to whatever age. Um, so I just, I think it's a really hard argument uh, to say You know, that, oh, well, just because we have this percentage doesn't mean we can't include them, you know, to a a higher degree, Uh, especially for an industry that has for so long, up until 1972, been a, like, uh, you know, built off of or built for and by white cis men. Um, It's all about now, I think, trying to create opportunities for everyone else to, to participate, to be represented, to be visible, um, within the sport. Um, and so if that means, you know, there's, there's less, um, if that, if that means that we have a higher percentage of some of these marginalized groups, like I'm all for that because that's who we're trying to get into the sport right now. Cause they currently don't have the space, you know, they don't have the same amount of space that, that, you know, white cis men have, right? So what can we do to help build out that space to help promote those opportunities for them to participate? Um, you know, those are all questions I think the industry can can answer and can uh, figure out moving forward. Awesome.
0: Let's continue on then, um, We're Again, um, we've been recording for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> you and I both have to run today at some point, so um, exactly. Start um, with the. Last, I think as we we call upon participants and spectators. Yep. Thank okay, you. Cool.
1: So we call upon participants and spectators to refrain from making assumptions about a participant's gender based on their name, appearance, or experience. Try replacing gendered language such as "guys," "ladies and gentlemen," or "sir" and "ma'am." with more open language, such as participants, athletes, volunteers, friends, or spectators. When meeting new people or introducing yourself to others, normalize the sharing of pronouns, even if you're not non-binary or transgender. This helps create a space where others feel comfortable sharing their pronouns too. Finally, if you're an ally and want to help, educate yourself and then speak up when you encounter a race that hasn't built space for non-binary athletes. Ask the race organizers why they haven't done so, and invite them to consider doing so. Provide them with resources like
0: this letter. I think that's pretty self-explanatory, and so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> jump on! I don't think we have much to chat about on there. Yeah. Uh, no, well, I, I would
1: just say, like, I think that that is that's one of the easiest things we can do as Mm -hmm. just like the general public, whether you're a spectator, you're a participant, you're a whatever it may be. The the more we can refrain from making a lot of those assumptions, right? Like, oh, this person has like a ponytail and they've, you know, they're wearing pink. Oh, they must be a woman. They must use she, her pronouns. Like the way that our brain has kind of been trained to make those assumptions and, um, you know, kind of act on those biases that, that exists. Like the more we can kind of start to, refrain from doing that and question that um i think the better because as we said earlier like pink isn't gender colors aren't gendered so like pink doesn't mean woman and blue doesn't mean man right like there are so many assumptions we are making based on the the interaction we're having the things we're seeing um so how can we uh, refrain from using like he him or she her pronouns until you actually know what the person uses right like ask them i always introduce myself as like hey i'm jake fedorowski my name or my, my name is jake fedorowski my pronouns are they them what are yours um and you know just starting to kind of change how we are interacting with folks i think is um a super not i shouldn't say it's super easy but it's it's a it's a a tool that anyone can do right? Whether you're a race organizer or a spectator or a runner, like you can start doing this today. So that's all I had to say there.
0: Yeah, that brings up some thoughts in my head, like from a evolutionary evolutionarily and like biological perspective, we kind of make these snap judgments on people based off of what they're wearing, what they're doing, because it saves us time and it Mm. saves us mental energy. So like Mm -hmm. we have these social norms and you could say constructs like, okay, women wear pink and men wear blue. Women have long hair, men generally have shorter hair, that sort of thing, because it helps us make judgments. And same thing with like food, for example, like, okay, like we don't eat these red creepy berries because they're going to kill us. Yeah, And so, or like, I don't know, like even like with the smell and taste and everything, it's like, okay, you taste a piece of, of moldy meat, and like you're not going to eat it because you just know it's bad for you. You don't have to mm-hmm. actually ingest it and then get sick and die to know that it's not good for you. Yeah. So yeah. I think a lot of these things that we have, like even though like we're in a different society now than we were a few hundred years ago, very obviously, um yeah, we have these kind of social norms just to help save us time, like just to make mm-hmm. judgments off of things. And it's not like I think judgment. People use the word judgment as like it's always a negative thing, but not be very positive things. Like mm-hmm. you see a, a guy walking towards you with a knife, and he's very upset. It's like okay, I need to get out of the situation. You're judging that person, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yep. I, all like I saw, I'm getting at is like we have these sort of ways to make snap judgments in the moment where they're just mm-hmm. kind of they just kind of happen. We don't really think about them at all, and it's yep. like an evolutionary thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what can we what can we do to start to kind of not necessarily because I don't want to say like, you know, don't make right in that situation. Like if there is a threat or if there is a danger, like I wouldn't want to be like, okay, sit there and think about like, you know, like how can we just start to kind of second guess some of those judgments that we make or some of those assumptions that we make you know, specifically when it comes to someone else's identity or experience, Um, you know, a lot of the time, those those assumptions could be incorrect, right? And um, you know, how can we kind of proactively think about those interactions and um, you know, approach them with a different mindset. Okay.
0: Um well then let's read the last paragraph and then um you and I can both go out and get our runs in. Yeah. Hopefully it's not raining in Seattle for you.
1: Right. No, it's it's there's no rain yet. I think we're good we'll be good for the day. <laughs> um So we are eager to see races openly and equally welcome non-binary athletes into their midst. We want to see the trail and ultra running community grow, especially with the arrival of Gen Z, in which 12% of young people are non-binary or transgender. We look forward to the day when everyone will feel welcome and included at any and all running events. And while meaningful change can bring feelings of uncertainty, we are confident that with the integral trail and ultra running tenets of community, courage, and kindness, we can all work together to create events that incorporate and celebrate non-binary athletes. Yeah, Sincerely, just, all of the authors. <laughs>
0: all the authors. There's a, how many people, like 10 people? 10 so. of us. Yeah, nice. Um, So I'm curious, where'd you get that 12% stat? Because like I did just some, I literally Googled just like, for 30 seconds i'm not gonna say i did a deep dive into this but i um, <laughs> into that specific um thing but i found a pew study that said five percent um mm. do, you, do you have a link I, i'm just curious like where i could find yeah let 5%. me i
1: that i'm gonna be honest that last paragraph was written by well not was solely written but was mostly written by someone else um okay. one of the other authors um but i was just gonna i can look that up here let's see um that but once again like um what am i trying to say oh once again like you know we just don't really have um we don't have these like concrete surveys and ways of collecting some of this data yet i i know there's there is a, a i can't remember the title but i think it's like a trans a trans survey that was going around this fall or maybe this summer you know there there are attempts to um, there are attempts to kind of more accurately collect that data. Um, so, you know, whatever, uh, sorry, now I'm
0: looking at this. Don't you think it would be kind of hard though to put concrete data based off of feeling and emotion versus like, say like a hard science where it's like, okay, like X, X chromosome is this X, Y chromosome is this, But then it's like, if you're so fluid in how you're feeling, like, how do you actually collect data on that? Because maybe like today, I feel like I'm whatever. um, And then tomorrow, I feel like I'm male. So I'm going to, during this poll, I'm going to say I'm male. And then three days later, I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, no, 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 actually, I'm, I'm trans or something. Like, is that, do you think that's part of the problem of, or the part of the reason why it's hard to get concrete data?
1: Um, i hear that um i don't think it's as simple as like well today i'm cis and tomorrow i am trans and today i'm back to cis like it yes there may be some fluidity within like the trans or the non-binary community um you know whether you're like oh today I'm, it's a little bit more like gender queer to today might be a bit more agender um but i think that it if we're using these umbrella terms of like non-binary or transgender, like that's that's a data point we can collect. Um, and I think we just, as a society first, because once again, like for so long, trans and non-binary folks were told that they don't exist and that we you know, don't deserve to, to be in this space or in this society. And so that data was never collected. It was always like, well, the only options are men and women. So as the the acceptance and the, um, you know, the representation grows, um, I think that we'll see more opportunities and more surveys and, and studies done that include the trans and non-binary community. This, this happens all the time in like the medical community. So many medical studies are, you know, like the people they're bringing in to do these studies on are very specific identities, whether they're specifically men or specifically white people um the 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 industry the the medical community is starting to call attention to that and say like hey actually like your studies aren't representative of the entire population and how can we start to do studies and and collect data that accurately reflect the the different identities that are out there and so i think it's similar in this situation where you know for so long those identities were never that data was never collected and it's now starting to uh, we're starting to see more of it happen. So I, I can only assume that we'll start to see um, more, I don't want to use the word reliable, but more accessible and um, uh, just more data um, on the different identities and different experiences of, of the, the population.
0: Cool.
1: Awesome. And I, I know
0: you looking for that study right now, but you don't have to find it right now. I, I'm just I know, I'm, like, and... I'm
1: trying to find, well, I found one, <laughs> but this one, oh this was a 2021 study
0: uh oh but that, that's just lgbtq
1: i'll just i'll find it and i'll send it to you <laughs> yeah I'm just,
0: I'm just curious like definitely don't spend uh, the rest of your life looking for it. it's not that right I was just, just well I, curious. Ca- I can
1: also just ask you know the 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 person that wrote that part of the the um, yeah the letter um probably simply but yeah i mean i think it's 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 challenge it's really challenging. Um, This work is not going to happen overnight. And especially, you know, there's so much, there's so many bills and there's so much legislation going across um, different legislatures right now about trans inclusion and, um, you know, which is effectively just trying to uh, remove trans folks from uh, from sport. And I think we have to just continue to work together, you know, making sure that trans and non-binary voices are being heard and that, you know, space is being created for them. Um, You know, I get the, all the time I I get the question like, well, why don't you just have divisions based on sex assigned at birth? Um, And well, people, first of all, what I respond with there is like, okay, but what about the people? Because then that would mean male and female divisions. What about the folks who are intersex? right? I don't know the, the, the data or the, um, uh, the amount, but there, there are intersex folks out there who are not that cookie cutter, quote unquote, um, male or female, right? Depending on whatever sort of, um, chromosome makeup they may have, or, you know, whatever that may be. If we go to a system based on sex assigned at birth, like we're still going to be brought, uh, that, 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 uh, that challenge is still going to be brought to the table of like, well, what about the folks who don't really fit perfectly into those boxes? Kind of like we're seeing right now with men, women, and non-binary folks. Um, But also if it's, if there are divisions based on sex assigned at birth, that means that you will have, that's forcing trans folks to participate in divisions where they, you know, in society, we exist as men, women, trans, uh, trans, or sorry, I should say cis men, cis women, trans men, trans women, non-binary, et cetera. So if you have someone who, who exists in the world as a woman, but is being forced to participate in a division with males, you know, who are assigned male at birth, the opportunities for harassment and, um, harm and, you know, uh, the danger that is presented right there is that's really scary, um, and so I try to tell folks that like going into a system like that is is not uh, is not safe for trans and non-binary folks. In in essence, it's basically pushing them out of the equation and saying, well oh sorry like if you don't feel safe then don't show up and like that's not where we want to go with sport sport is about bringing the community together it's about bringing um you know everyone and allowing everyone to participate um but also we see it with with uh afab people people who people who are assigned female at birth you know oh well their testosterone is too high or oh like they're too strong. They're too, they they can't, you know, participate. Or we're we're going to raise questions because they did so well. That right there, like, just starts to bring up all the sexism and, um, you know, issues that come with that argument. You know, we see with like I always talk about like Michael Phelps or you know these people within the 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 men's division who are assigned male at birth. Like, when they do well, we bring in more sponsorships and we give them more money it's never a question of like, oh, you know, are they, it's just, oh, I hate that argument. I hate that argument so much when people are like, oh, well that, that, uh, that woman, like there's too much testosterone. She's too, she's too strong. Like, you know, is she, is she really a, a woman? Is she really, you know, was she really assigned female at birth? And it's just like, oh, the privacy issues and the, the sexism and the transphobia and like, Oh, I could go off for days. Anyways, I don't know how I got to that point, but
0: yeah, those are definitely edge cases though. Cause it's like, there's always freaks in nature. Like, like, yeah, uh, yeah, like Michael Phelps is just a freak swimming and there's a lot of track athletes, like female track athlete, athletes that have um, fairly high testosterone, but they're they're definitely yeah. female and will always be that way. But then,
1: but people um... are always like, oh, well they start to question it and they need to see, yeah. you know, evidence and, you know, I need to see medical documents. It's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? uh anyways I I could go off (laughs) we'll save save that that. for another conversation
0: (laughs) (laughs) cool well Jake it was good talking to you um it was super fun and informative and I'm glad you wrote that letter It's interesting to read through and um, and to hear your point of view and why you wrote it and
1: yeah 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 thank you so much I think um being able to talk about it is is great and I think you know people have all sorts of um opinions and beliefs and um have been raised to to think a certain way and the more that we can kind of talk about those those um those different things and and try to you know I do my part as a non-binary person to try to share my experience and to um be that representation um and I just encourage you know everyone else out there to do the same you know to really share your experience and and come to the table willing to to uh, to chat and you know to be open-minded. Um, and, uh, just to do the work to allow everyone to, to participate and to show up. Um, I think, uh, that's where we got it. That's where we have to go. And that's, uh, where most of us are headed.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, I appreciate that and appreciate the time. Awesome. Thank you.